0: chapter two of yollop by george barr mccutcheon this librivox recording is in the public domain the thing that's troubling me now said mr yollop as smilk hung up the receiver and twisted his head slightly to peek out of the corner of his eye is how to get hold of my slippers you've no idea how cold this floor is if it's half as cold as the sweat i'm we're likely to have a long wait went on the other frowning it will probably take the police a couple of hours to find this building with absolutely no clue except the number and the name of the street. I'll tell you what you might do, Mr. Scallop. Seeing as you won't trust me to go in and find your slippers for you, why don't you sit on your feet, take that big armchair over there, and... Splendid! By Jove, Cassius, you are an uncommonly clever chap. I'll do it. And then, when the police arrive, we'll have something for them to do. We'll let them see if they can find my slippers. That ought to be really quite interesting. There's something about you, said Mr. Smilk not without a touch of admiration in his voice, that I simply can't help liking. That's what the wolf said to Little Red Riding Hood, if I remember correctly. However, I thank you, Cassius. In spite of the thump I gave you, and the disgusting way in which I treated you, a visitor in my own house, you express a liking for me. It is most gratifying. Still, for the time being, I believe we can be much better friends if I keep this pistol pointed at you. Now, we'll do a little maneuvering. You may remain seated where you are. However, I must ask you to pull out the two lower drawers in the desk, one on either side of where your knees go. You will find them quite empty and fairly commodious. Now, put your right foot in the drawer on this side and your left foot in the other one. Yes, I know it's quite a stretch, but I dare say you can manage it. Sort of recalls the old days when evil evildoers were put in the stocks, doesn't it? They seem to be quite a snug fit, don't they? If it is as difficult for you to extricate your feet from those drawers as it was to insert them, I fancy I'm pretty safe from a sudden and impulsive dash in my direction. Rather bright idea of mine, eh? I'm beginning to change my opinion of you, announced Mr. Smilk. Mr. Yollop pushed a big upholstered library chair up to the opposite side of the desk, and after several awkward attempts, succeeded in sitting down, tailor fashion, with his feet neatly tucked away beneath him. I wasn't quite sure I could do it said he rather proudly i suppose my feet will go to sleep in a very short time but i am assuming cassius that you are too much of a gentleman to attack a man whose feet are asleep i wouldn't even attack you if they were snoring said cassius grinning in spite of himself say this certainly beats anything i've ever come up against if one of my pals was to happen to look in here right now and see me with my feet in these drawers and you squatting on yours well." i can't help laughing myself and god knows i hate to you were saying a little while ago said mr yollop shifting his position slightly that you rather fancy the idea of being arrested isn't that a little quixotic mr smelk huh? i mean to say do you expect me to believe you when you say you relish being arrested i don't care a whoop whether you believe it or not it's true have you no fear of the law bless your heart sir I don't know how I'd keep body and soul together if it wasn't for the law. If people would only let the law alone, I'd be one of the happiest guys on earth. But, damn them, they won't let it alone. First, they put their heads together and frame up this blasted parole game on us. Just about the time we begin to think we're comfortably settled up the river, long comes some doggone homewrecker and gets us out on parole. Then, we got to go to work and begin all over again. Sometimes, the way things are nowadays, it takes months to get back into the pen again. We got to live, ain't we? We got to eat, ain't we? Well, there you are. Why can't they leave us alone instead of driving us out into the cold, unfeeling world where we got to either steal or starve to death? There wouldn't be one-tenth as much stealing and murdering as there is if they didn't force us into it. Why, doggone it, I've seen some of the most cruel and pitiful sights you ever heard of up there at Sing Sing. Fellers leading a perfectly honest life, suddenly chucked out into a world full of vice and inequity and forced, absolutely forced, into a life of crime. There they were, living a quiet, peaceful life, harmin' nobody, and bing, they wake up some morning and find themselves homeless. Do you realize what that means, Mr. Strumpet? It means, yallop, if you please. It means they got to go out and slug some innocent citizen some poor guy that had nothing whatever to do with driving them out and then if they happened to be caught they got to go through with all the uncertainty of a trial by jury never knowing but what some pin-headed juror will stick out for acquittal and make it necessary to go through with it all over again and more than that they got to listen to the testimony of a lot of policemen and their own durn fool lawyers trying to deprive them of their bread and butter and the judge's instructions that nobody pays any attention to except the shorthand reporter. And them just sitting there sort of helpless and not able to say a word in their own behalf because the law says they're innocent till they're proved guilty. Why, I tell you, Mr. Doolap, it's heartbreaking. And all because some weak-minded smart aleck gets them paroled. As I was saying, the law's all right if it wasn't for the people that abuse it. This is most interesting, said Mr. Yollop. I've never quite understood why 90% of the paroled convicts go back to the penitentiary so soon after they've been liberated. Of course, explained Mr. Smilk. There are a few that don't get back. That's because, in their anxiety to make good, they get killed by some inexperienced policeman who catches them coming out of somebody's window or... By the way, Cassius, let me interrupt you. Will you have a cigar? Nice pleasant way to pass an hour or two. Beg pardon? I was only saying... If you don't mind, I'll take one of these cigarettes. Cigars are a little too heavy for me. I have some very light grade domestic. I don't mean in quality, I mean in weight. What's the sense of wasting a lot of strength holding a cigar in your mouth when it requires no effort at all to smoke a cigarette? Why, I got it all figured out scientifically. With the same amount of energy you expend in smoking one cigar, you could smoke between 30 and 40 cigarettes. And being sort of gradual, you wouldn't begin to feel half as fatigued as if you— Did I understand you to say scientifically, or was it satirically? I'm trying to use common, everyday words, Mr. Shallop said Mr. Smilk, with dignity, and I wish you'd do the same. Ahem. Well, light up, Cassius. I think I'll smoke a cigar. When you get through with the matches, push them over this way, will you? Help yourself to those chocolate creams. There's a pound box of them at your elbow, Cassius. I eat a great many. They're supposed to be fattening help yourself after lighting his cigar mr yollop inquired by the way since you speak so feelingly i gather that you are a paroled convict that's what i am and the worst of it is it ain't my first offence i mean it ain't the first time i've been paroled to begin with when i was somewhat younger than i am now i was twice turned loose by judges on what they call suspended sentences then i was sent up for two years for stealing something or other i forget just what it was I served my time, and a little later on, went up again for three years for holding up a man over in Brooklyn. Well, I got paroled out inside of two years, and for nearly six months, I had to report to the police ever so often. Every time I reported, I had my pockets full of loot I'd snitched during the month, stuff the bulls were looking for in every pawn shop in town. But to save my soul, I couldn't somehow manage to get myself caught with the goods on me. Say... I'd give two years off of my next sentence if I could cross my legs for five or ten minutes. This is getting worse and worse, all the— You might try putting your left foot in the right-hand drawer and your right foot in the other one, suggested Mr. Yollop. Mr. Smilk stared. I've seen a lot of kidders in my time, but you certainly got all skinned to death, said he. Mr. Yollop puffed reflectively for a while, pondering the situation. Well, suppose you remove one foot at a time, Cassius. As soon it is fairly well rested— Put it back again, and then take the other one out for a spell. And so on. Half a loaf is better than no loaf at all. Smilk withdrew his left foot from its drawer, and sighed gratefully. As I was saying, he resumed, if we could only put some kind of curb on these here tender-hearted boobs and boobesses, the world would be a much better place to live in. The way it is now, nine-tenths of the fellers up in Sing Sing never know when they'll have to pack up and leave. And it's a constant strain on the nerves, I tell you, there seems to be a well-organized movement to interfere with the personal liberty of criminals, Mr. Pop-Up. These here sentimental reformers take it upon themselves to say whether a feller shall stay in prison or not. First, they come up there and pick out some poor helpless feller and say, It's a crime to keep a good-looking, intelligent boy like you in prison. So we're going to get you out on parole and make an honest, upright citizen of you. We're going to get you a nice job. And so on and so forth. Well, before he knows it, He's out and has to put up a bluff of working for a livin'. Course, he just has to go to stealing again. It makes him sore when he thinks of the good, honest life he was leading up there in the pen, with nothing to worry about, satisfactory hours, plenty to eat, and practically divorced from his wife without having to go through the mill. If my calculations are correct, more than fifty percent of the crime that's been committed these days is the work of paroled convicts who depended on the law to protect and support them for a given period of time and does the law protect them it does not it allows a lot of pinheads to interfere with it and what's the answer a lot of poor devils are forced to go out and risk their lives trying to just a moment please interrupted mr yollop you are talking a trifle too fast cassius moderate your speed a little before we go any farther i would like to be set straight on one point do you mean to tell me that you actually prefer being in prison well now that's a difficult question to answer mused mr smilk sometimes i do and sometimes i don't it's sort of like being married i suppose sometimes you're glad you're married and sometimes you wish to god you wasn't course i've only been married three or four times and i've been in the pen six times one place or another so i guess i'm not what you'd call an unbiased witness I seem to have a lean toward jail. About three to one in favor of jail, you might say, with the odds likely to be increased pretty shortly if all goes well. Do you mind if I change drawers? Eh? Oh, I see. Go ahead. Mr. Smelt put his right foot back into its drawer and withdrew the left. Get you right across this tenon on the back of your ankle, he said. Now, you take the daily life of the average laboring man, he went on earnestly. What does he get out of it? Nothing but expenses. The only thing that don't cost him something is work. And all the time he's at work, his expenses are going on just the same. Piling up during his absence from home. Rent, food, fuel, light, doctor, liquor, clothes, shoes. Everything piling up on him while he's working for absolutely nothing between paydays. The only time he gets anything for his work is on payday. The rest of the time, he's working for nothing. Week in and week out. Say he works 44 hours a week. When does he get his pay? While he's working? Not much. He has to work overtime anywhere from 15 minutes to a half an hour. On his own time, mind you, standing in line to get his pay envelope. And then, when he gets it, what does he have to do? He has to go home and wonder how the hell he's going to get through the next week with nothing but car fare to go on after his wife has told him to come across. Now, you take a convict. He hasn't an expense in the world. Free grub, free bed, free doctor, free clothes. He could have free liquor if the keepers would let his friends bring it in. And his hours ain't any longer than any union man's hours. He don't have to pay dues to any labor union. He don't have to worry about strikes or strike benefits. He don't give a whoop what Gompers or anybody else says about Gary. And he don't care a darn whether the working man gets his beer or whether the revenue officers get it. He— Wait a second, please. Just as a matter of curiosity, Cassius, I'd like to know what your views are on prohibition. "'Are you thinking of asking me if I'll have something to drink?' inquired Mr. Smilk craftily. "'What has that to do with it?' "'A lot,' said Mr. Smilk, with decision. "'Do you approve of prohibition?' "'I do,' said the rogue, in moderation. "'Well, as soon as the police arrive, I'll open a bottle of scotch. In the meantime, go ahead with your very illuminating dissertation. I am beginning to understand why crime is so attractive, so alluring. I am almost able to see why you fellows like to go to the penitentiary. If you could only get shut up for a couple of years, Mr. Wallop, you'd appreciate just what has been done in the last few years to make us fellers like it. You wouldn't believe how much the reformers have done to induce us to come back as soon as possible. They give us all kinds of entertainment, free of charge. Three times a week we have some sort of a show, generally a band concert, a moving picture show, and a vaudeville show. Then, once a month, they bring up some crackin' good show right out of a Broadway theater to make us forget that it's Sunday and we'll have to go to work the next morning. Scenery and costumes and everything, and, and... Here, Mr. Smilk showed signs of blubbering, a weakness that suddenly gave way to the most energetic indignation. Why, doggone it. Every time I think of what that woman done to me, I could bite a nail into. If it hadn't been for... Woman? What woman? The woman that got me paroled out she got i don't know how many people to sign a petition saying i was a fine feller and all that kind of bunk and all i needed was a chance to show the world how honest i am and why of course i was honest how could i help being honest up there what's eatin the darn fools the only thing you can steal up there is a nap and you got to be mighty slick if you want to do that they watch you so close but do you know what's goin on in this country right now mr popple There's a regular organized band of lawbreakers operating from one end of the nation to the other. We're trying to bust it up, but it's a tough job. The best way to reform a reformer is to rob him. The minute he finds out he's been robbed, he turns over a new leaf and begins to beller like a bull about how rotten the police are. 99 times out of a 100, he quits his cussed interfering with the law and becomes a decent law-observant citizen our scheme is to get busy as soon as we've been turned loose and while our so-called benefactors are still rejoicing over having snatched a brand from the burnin we up and show em the error of their ways first offenders get off fairly easy we simply sneak in and take their silver and some loose jewelry the more hardened they are the worse we treat em ringleaders sometimes get beat up so badly it's impossible to identify em at the morgue but in time we'll smash the gang and then if a feller goes up for 10, 20, or even 30 years, he'll know there's no underhanded work going on, and he can settle down to an honest life. The only way to stop crime in this country, Mr. Yollop, is to, thank you, is to make everybody respect the law, and with conditions so pleasant and so happy in prison, I want to tell you there's nobody in the country that respects and admires the law more than we do especially us fellers that remember what the penitentiaries used to be like a few years ago when conditions were so tough that most of us managed to earn an honest living outside sooner than run the risk of getting sent up. He sighed deeply, then with a trace of real solicitude in his manner. Are your feet warm yet? Warm as toast. Your discourse, Cassius, has moved me deeply. Perhaps it would comfort you to call up police headquarters again and tell them to hurry along? Wouldn't be a bad idea, said Mr. Smilk. He took down the receiver. Presently, Police headquarters? How about sending over to 418 Sagamore for that burglar I was speaking to you about recently? Sure, he's here yet. The same name I gave you earlier in the evening. Spell it yourself. You got it written down on a pad right there in front of you, haven't you? Say, if you don't get somebody around here pretty quick, I'm going to call up two or three of the newspaper offices and have them sent... All right, see that you do. Turning to Mr. Yollop, he said, the police are a pretty decent lot when you get to know them, Mr. Yollop. They do their share towards enforcing the law. They do their best to get us the limit. The trouble is, they got to fight tooth and nail against almost everybody that ain't on the police force. Especially jurymen. There ain't a juryman in New York City that wants to believe a policeman on oath. He'd sooner believe a crook any day. And sometimes the judges are worse than the juries. A pal of mine, being in considerable of a hurry to get back home one very cold winter figured that if he went up and pled guilty before a judge he'd save a lot of time well sir the doggone judge looked him over for a minute or two and suddenly out of a clear sky asked him if he had a family and when he acknowledged being an honest though ignorant guy that he had a wife and three children the judge said if he promised to go out and earn a living for them he'd let him off with a suspended sentence and before he had a chance to say he'd be damned if he'd make any such fool promise the bailiff hustled him out the runway and told him to beat it he had to go out and slug a poor old widow woman and rob her of all the money she'd saved since her husband died say that reminds me i've got a favor i'd like to ask of you mr Yollop. i'm inclined to grant almost any favor you may ask said mr yollop sympathetically i know how miserable you must feel cassius and how hard life is for you do you want me to shoot you no i don't exclaimed mr smelk hastily I want you to take my roll of bills and hide it before the police come. That ain't much to ask, is it? Bless my soul. How extraordinary. There's something over $600 in the roll, went on Cassius confidentially. It ain't that I'm afraid the cops will grab it for themselves, understand. But you see, it's like this. The first thing the judge asks you when you get arraigned is whether you've got the means to employ a lawyer. If you ain't, he appoints someone and it don't cost you a cent. "'Now, if I go down to the tombs with all this money, why, by gosh, it will cost me just that much to get sent to Sing Sing. Cause whatever you got in the shape of real money is exactly what your lawyer's fee will be. And it don't seem sensible to spend all that money to get sent up when you can obtain the same result for nothing. Ain't that so?' "'It sounds reasonable, Cassius. You appear to be a thrifty as well as an honest fellow.' but may i be permitted to ask what the devil you are doing with six hundred dollars on your person while actively engaged in the pursuit of your usual avocation why didn't you leave it at home home my god man don't you know it ain't safe these days to leave a lot of money lying around the house with all these burglaries going on not on your life even if i had had all this dough when i left home to i wouldn't have taken any such chance as leaving it there the feller I'm rooming with is figuring on turning over a new leaf. He's thinking of getting married for five or six months, and I don't think he could stand temptation. Do you mean to say you acquired your role after leaving home tonight, eh? To be perfectly honest with you, Mr. Mop-Up, I... Yollop, please. Yollop, I found this money in front of a theater uptown, just after the police nabbed a friend of mine who had frisked some guy of his role and had to drop it in a hurry. And you want me to keep it for you till you are free again. Is that it? "'Just as soon as the trial is over and I get my sentence, "'I'll send a pal of mine around to you with a note "'and you can turn it over to him. "'All I'm after is to keep some lawyer from getting—' "'What would you say, Cassius, "'if I were to tell you that I am a lawyer?' "'I'd say you're a darn fool to confess when you don't have to,' replied Mr. Smelk succinctly. Mr. Yollop chuckled. <laughs> "'Well, I am not a lawyer. "'Nevertheless, I must decline to act as a depository "'for your obviously ill-gotten gains.' gee that's tough lamented mr smilk wouldn't you just let me drop it behind something or other that bookcase over there say and i'll promise to send for it some night when you're out no use cassius broke in mr yollop firmly i'm deaf to your entreaties permit me to paraphrase a very well-known line none so deaf as him who will not hear if i speak very slowly and distinctly don't you think you could hear me if i was to offer to split the wad even with you fifty-fifty no questions asked inquired cassius rather wistfully see here exclaimed mr yollop irritably you got me in this position and i want you to get me out of it while i've been squatting here listening to you they've both gone to sleep and i'm hanged if i can move em i never would have dreamed of sitting on them if you hadn't put the thought into my head confound you let em hang down for a while that'll wake em up suggested mr Smilk. easier said than done snapped the other he managed, however, to get his benumbed feet to the floor and presently stood up on them. Mr. Smilk watched him with interest as he hobbled back and forth in front of the desk. They'll be all right in a minute or two. By Jove, I wish my sister could have heard all you've been saying about prisons and paroles and police. I ought to have had sense enough to call her. She's asleep at the other end of the hall. I hate women, growled Mr. Smilk. Ever since that pie-faced Dane got me chucked out of Sing Sing. Say, let me tell you something else she'd done to me. She gave me an address somewhere up on the east side and told me to come and see her as soon as I got out. Well, I hadn't been out a week when I went up to see her one night, or, more strictly speaking, one morning about two o'clock. What do you think? It was an empty house with a for rent sign on it. I found out the next day she'd moved a couple of weeks before and had gone to some hotel for the winter because it was impossible to keep any servants while this crime wave is going on. The janitor told me she'd had three full sets of servants stole right out from under her nose by female bandits over on Park Avenue. I don't suppose I'll ever have another chance to get even with her. Everything all set to bind and gag her, and maybe wrap her over the bean a couple of times, and-say, can you beat it for rotten luck? She-she double-crossed me, that's what she-a light, hesitating rap on the library door interrupted Mr. Smilk's bitter reflection. Chapter 2